Hello and welcome to the second episode of Letters from the Edge. I am Marcus and uh, it's great to be back again. I hope you enjoyed the th- first podcast if you've had a chance to have a listen. And I hope it was useful for whoever's had, had a listen to it. it. It was really fun to make. It was a new experience for me. And I um, I hope that it was everything that everyone hoped it would be. Those of you who have been cheering me on from the sidelines getting, uh, getting prepared for all this. So getting straight on to the topic that I wanted to talk about today, I wanted to talk about parenting with bipolar. It's a topic that's very close to my heart and my experience, and it's um, I think it'll give some relief to a lot of uh, parents that I, I know personally and people I don't know, because it's parenting at the best of times is a scary-ass thing. If you think the worst of parenting is you know, shitty nappies and you know feedings every two hours, like that's... <laughs> I got to tell you, that's the easy part. That's when they're cute, they're pretty docile. Even when they're running around the house and getting into cupboards and pulling all your stuff out, and you got to worry about poisons and pets and all sorts of stuff. It only gets harder as they get older because they develop their own will. They're becoming their own people and they've got their own emotions. And obviously, bipolar people being very emotional creatures, as I said last week, we anything we think and feel more than the average person, for better or worse. Everything that gets filtered through bipolar is either amplified or muted on either extreme. You know, our excesses uh, and our awareness of those excesses can sometimes be muted by hypomania or when we're in our depressive or manic phases. Even a fairly innocuous experience or fairly minor arguing back with the kids or something, that filter of bipolar will magnify that and depending on whatever stage you're at will determine just how off tap you go. So, I mean, the plus side of all that is that with bipolar, I would argue that most bipolar people are as with the extremes of sadness and energy and anger, we also love deeply, madly. We are lovers at heart. And if you think about how we are when we're out and about and we meet new friends, we're very enthusiastic. We just want to be everyone's friend and we're like happy and almost like oversharing with these people we've only just met, but they're like instant brothers and sisters. You think about that and then you think about someone that's actually born from your own flesh and blood. Even, you know, in my case, my stepson is basically my naturalized son. You know, I've been around since he was five months old. And, you know, just you just feel that so strongly. But then obviously, when you have those dust-ups, you know, with your kids, you, you feel that even more personally in a more exaggerated way. And, you know, that brings me to think about when we're dealing with our stressful times that may or may not have anything to do with our children. It might just be like in my case, as I was talking about in the last uh, episode, I'm been dealing with work stress and burnout and feeling disenchanted with what I'm doing with my life. And that unfortunately has ripple effects into other areas of my life. My ex was uh, away on holiday and I had the kids for, I think, 10 or 11 days. And look, it was great. They were, to their credit, they were actually pretty good. But, you know, I was dealing with my depressive cycle that I described in that last episode. And so it was challenging to sort of manage the kids and manage their emotions. Like they, you know, my son, he's autistic and ADHD as well. Um, which again, that's another complication to an already difficult thing. Um, so you've got two people with, in my case, mental illness and in his case, neurodivergence, and we have different needs. And then you've got my daughter who's just, as far as I can tell, just fairly neurotypical, but then she's a little kid that wants what she wants. 
So you've got all these competing needs while you're trying to deal with an episode, and that is incredibly, incredibly challenging. The kids don't necessarily understand what's going on, and even if they do, we have a very open dialogue in my house, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit. You know, they even when they understand, they sort of don't catch themselves at the point in time when it would be most essential to, you know, essentially prevent them adding to the stress of an episode for a parent. But you have to manage your expectations. They are children. They have limited knowledge um, when it comes to emotions other than their own. And a lot of their needs and wants are usually mistaken as one or the other. What feels important to them, or what we don't think is important, is really important to them. Like, my brother's not sharing the Nintendo with me. Be assured that that particular one comes up all the time. So... So there can be a lot of guilt and shame if I'm not as present as I normally would be or if I'm overwhelmed and more easily lose my composure. I mean, with the battles with my kids, I mean, they're fairly minimal. Because I am self-aware and because I have gotten better over the last three years, especially since my diagnosis, I've been able to have a bit more patience with my children, having a little bit more understanding of, okay, I can feel myself escalating one way or the other, like I'm getting taking something they've said or done more personally on the downward spiral, or it's making me agitated, you know, going up. So, you know, I've lost patience with my little one. You know, she's turning seven this year. You know, when she's usually when she's nagging me for something, which will ask me, to, can you play Barbies with me? Or can you, can I have a snack? Or can you take my shoes off? Or can you do something she can do herself, you know? Or can I, can you play Minecraft with me? And, you know, usually I'm totally down for that. I love spending time with my kids. I like a little bit more adult time in my life, but I'm, I'm more than happy to sit down and play with them and whatever. But then there's some times where I'm, like this week, this past week was really challenging because I had them for longer than I normally have them. Uh, and for context, you know, my ex and I share 50-50 co-parenting. So, you know, three days, one week, four days, other, and we alternate those longer weeks, um, which is really good. It works for my full-time job. It gives us a break. You know, then I've got my son that's nagging me, you know, or um, usually now he's nearly 12. He's about to turn 12 next month. And he's at that age uh, where he's back chatting a lot and he's correcting his sister on things that really don't need to be corrected. Like, you know, just he's provoking arguments. um, And I don't think he intends to. I think he just doesn't read on the social cues or just doesn't, as most kids, it's got nothing to do with his neurodivergence. He just doesn't realize that it's not worth arguing about with me or with them or, you know, his ability to compromise is not always great. So, yeah, we we, we sometimes run into these pitched battles and I escalate because I'm trying to explain to them this is not, you know, trying to do the typical parent thing where you're, you're diffusing the situation and you're trying to just bring everyone back to an even keel and you're while meanwhile you're in the middle of your own thoughts and your own cycles and yeah like you just you're not getting any cooperation and unfortunately it does lead to flare-ups so that can be a point of incredible guilt for me because I can be explosive when I'm overwhelmed or feel pushed into a corner with no sense of relief or escape now I'm lucky that basically since my diagnosis uh, actually no not since my diagnosis particularly the last year but over the last two years especially since being out on my own Um, I've been very open with my kids talking to them about bipolar, how it affects me. Now, a lot of people will probably criticize that and say, well, 
they're not going to understand what that is. Well, that's true. And I mean, they are, as with most things, like I've been disciplining my son since he was two years or two years old, um, since he could talk, you know, if he got put in his room or punished or something taken off him and he had a huge meltdown, we'd put him in his room and I would walk away, but I'd come back in and I would talk to him, put my arm around him, show him I loved him, you know, let him know with my body language as well as my words. And I would talk to him and I was criticized by, um, uh, by my mother-in-law who said that he doesn't understand that. And I said, but he will, if you do it consistently. And that's what I've been doing ever since he was young, you know, haven't always been perfect with it, but you know, him and I have always had this history and this pattern of sitting down and having a chat. And I've mirrored that with my daughter, even though the flare ups with her are a lot less frequent. Um, she's a bit of a daddy's girl, <laughs> but you know, I've, I've had that open discussion with, uh, the kids about, especially my son, um, about his ADHD, his aut- uh, his uh, autism, and my bipolar, and I've actually started to bring the conversation not just about one or the other's conditions, but actually talk about them uh, as a relationship. You know, not just as me and him, but as the way our respective variances kind of interact. And so, you know, with that kind of communication, not only are we er- erasing the stigma. And we're showing a, a lot of empathy and understanding to each other. Like, I feel like my, my kids know that around me, especially, they can they can have a brain meltdown because they've seen me at my best and worst. They can have a brain meltdown. And even though you don't condone necessarily if they've thrown something around the room or put a hole in the wall or screamed at the top of their lungs or told their sibling that they hate them, we can show that, okay, with a bit of empathy, a bit of tenderness, and some physical contact, you know, hug at the end and, and, and a bit of forgiveness, I guess, you know, giving each other a bit of leeway that it's okay to feel the full spectrum of emotions. I don't show any shame. If I've acted out of turn, I show my kids penitence. I'm very aware and very penitent when I know that I've fucked up. So I reach out to them and say, you know, look, mate, I'm sorry, even though I didn't like what you were doing, I think I could have handled it a bit better. So you're kind of creating this safe space where everyone, especially the kids, can express themselves at their best and their worst. That kind of disciplinary action that then was tempered with the loving, empathetic conversation. And I think that's really important um, to show those boundaries, but to show that not only is there no shame in feeling the full spectrum of emotion on both sides of the equation um, and whoever's, you know, had the meltdown and whoever's had the reaction, but it also shows that, you know, you're showing that, you know, we all are human, but we can always mend the fences. You know, we can always mend the bridges. You know, we're showing our kids what it's like to be authentically ourselves and authentically human. I know as a bipolar person now, even now, especially now that I'm aware of it, um, I've often felt that I have to hide my true self because someone will judge me or, and those thoughts still go through your mind, um, so I, whether you're in an episode or not. We don't feel like we're allowed to be our unabashed selves around people, even though people say, oh, you know, be yourself. Everyone's going to like you if you just treat yourself. I mean, that's, that's a fucking crock of shit. Most people, especially when you've got a mental health condition, they're like, oh, you're a bit hyper today. Oh, yeah, you're taking your meds. And it's like, yes, I'm taking my fucking meds. Yes, I am doing the holistic exercises. Sometimes those things, it doesn't get rid of those things. 
we still feel emotions. We still feel extremes of emotion, even though they may not be crazy bad as they would be if we didn't have those measures in place to to mitigate it. Um, so bipolar people often hide their true selves for fear of judgment and uh, the stigma. But it's not just bipolar. That's all mental illness and neurodivergence. I know from a friend of mine who's spoken to me about her autism that was diagnosed late in her adult life, about masking. My son, I know that to an extent he masks, and I'm there's been times that I'm ashamed to say that I've realized now in hindsight he's masked around me. And now that we have those really earnest conversations, because I am becoming more unabashedly myself and less uh, masking myself, he doesn't mask as much around me either. He feels safe enough knowing that even if I tell him off for something he's doing that is inconsiderate or unkind, I still love him. And you know what? Everything's going to be okay at the end. It's okay that we lose our shit sometimes. We're working towards a balance of being accountable for our actions and empathetic, but also being ourselves and allowing for, look, we're going to have days where we dust up and where we almost hate each other. But at the end of it, we love each other and we accept each other as we are. So yeah, our our mental health conversations, particularly with my son, feature very prominently in our post-argument phases, you know. You know, I'm amazed because sometimes, you know, I've worried that he doesn't have natural empathy. And I mean, you got to remember, kids are kids. Kids don't empathize. They empathize inconsistently, you know. They can be very tender when they see we're upset or something. When I pick up my son from after-school care a lot of the time... He will talk to me um, and say, hey, you know, how was your day? And I say, yeah, look, it was okay. And this is a conversation we had last week. I said to him, you know, it was good, but I had to take a day off, mate. I was feeling really unwell. I took my, I took a sick day because I'm just not coping at work. This is about day six of them staying over. And it had nothing to do with them. It was just with, between that and feeling burned out at work and just my brain overloaded, my bucket full, um, I couldn't cope. I'd been you know, a zombie at work for two days. So I told him straight up, I took a sick day. And he said, are you feeling better now? He said, he asked me actually, was it your bipolar? And I said, actually, son, yes, it was. And, you know, he asked me questions about it. You know, how does it make you feel? And I am staggered. He, that boy continues to stagger me because it's not something I was expecting him to ask. You know, he, he sometimes, you know, a lot of the time he'll spend his time talking to me about Roblox or, Nintendo stuff or, you know, Minecraft. But then there's these moments where he reaches out. He's clearly empathizing with me because we've naturalized those conversations. You know, we've talked about cause and effect, like sometimes how our mental illness will cause us to receive things through a filter that was possibly magnifying something and we've taken something that wasn't intended, you know, or that, you know, we've overreacted to something like I've had that conversation with him, you know, plenty of times when he's dusted up about the Nintendo stuff at all, you know, he had to get off and he's cracked the shits. And then I've really escalated a lot faster than my usual. Okay, stop mate. You know, I didn't do that. I just went straight to a hundred. And sometimes it's not even a case of cause and effect, like as in a reaction, often it's just a cycling of bipolar beyond one's control to at, at any given moment. That's the cause. You're short, you're testy, you're in a bad mood, and you just snap at someone. I'm glad this doesn't happen to me too often now, but it still does happen. 
those naturalizing those conversations and talking about the cause and effect and and actually you know admitting that that i was wrong or acted or spoke inappropriately you can explain what happened and discuss possible root causes like bipolar cycles without it being a justification or a hall pass for shitty behavior or speech we're just talking about look we're going to slip up we're going to slip up a lot over the course of our lives but the fact that he's also asking almost in preparation for his own learning i don't know it just it, it stunned me and it just warmed my heart and you know i think if you have those conversations with kids yes like my mother-in-law criticized me in the past they might not understand straight away but if you normalize it early they will start to get it the language of the discussion will start to turn in their minds and become commonplace and that's what we want we want to normalize genuine honest transparent discussion about all shades of the emotional experience we as parents keep our kids accountable but they help us to keep accountable to ourselves while normalizing and destigmatizing expressions of emotion however pleasant or unpleasant and normalizing mutual care and empathy anyone who's listening as a supporter of someone with bipolar or mental illness in general that's that's just treat treat this as advice for your own neurotypical family the less we hide behind expectation and masks and pretending everything's okay the better off we'll fucking be it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom and as i've said before this podcast is not going to be about doom and gloom we are trying to just we just want everyone to be more truly themselves but you know what normalizing stuff that you know that doesn't come naturally to human relationships out of fear of rejection or judgment um, because we're too afraid to show our authentic selves to our loved ones or to our kids that shit has to stop in the in the real world is i mean how we parent is a reflection of the past our present and what the future is going to look like if we don't normalize it and break the patterns that have dogged us and that have led to so much of our self-consternation in our own mental health journeys in our lives then we're just going to repeat the cycle so we've got to open up those dialogues with our kids really really young Um, we've got to normalize talking about it with our friends in another episode i I said that this was going to be the second episode um, the one about suicide ideation that i previously recorded and it it got kind of fucked up Um, this is another thing that i'm going to reiterate the same point is that you know, suicide ideation might just sound like we're throwing around the, the idea and the topic of suicide very casually. And that may be the case, but it, it comes out of us casually because the thought comes so unprovoked and almost casually itself that we, you know, I understand that it's a bit jarring for people who don't experience it, but it is, we have to be able to talk about it because if we don't talk about it, it that shit festers. And when it, once it festers to a point of no return... That's why that shit happens. I've seen so many videos lately talking about not just men's mental health, but men's mental health comes up a lot because the overrepresentation of men with mental health issues that commit suicide is staggering. The over it is so overrepresented in the suicide stats, um, and it's because men don't feel like they can share uh, their problems. But I'd go as far to say that people living with bipolar of all genders um, experience this, that inability to freely talk about their debilitating, horrible condition. But yeah, we're talking about parenting here, so sorry to get off track there, but the my point is is that this this has this is one this is a concept that can be applied to so many different 
subsections of the human experience. But it's if we want to raise healthy, balanced, self-aware children, we need to have those conversations young. And I know I can just tell you from my experience, it has been so, so positive and I'm really blessed and I'm so proud of them that, you know, my daughter comes up to me and she checks in on me, you know, not all the time. I don't want her to have, I don't want her to worry about me, but our kids do worry about us. You know, we're sitting there going, no, I don't want to tell my kids stuff. I don't want them to worry, but yeah, it goes both ways and we have to accept that. So the, the short, the short version of this whole thing is if we educate now, we can end the stigma for the next generation and retroactively we experience the fruits of that. Our children will be more caring and more accepting of us, especially those of us with mental illness. It ain't fucking easy being a parent. And it's even less easy being a parent with bipolar or other mental illnesses. So let's make it easy on ourselves and let our kids help us. And education should, no, actually it must begin in the home. I know even just parenting, actually in another way, here's another point that I didn't actually think of is that by parenting as openly as I have, my kids have taught me so much about myself and those failures are like most things. They are the thing that are instrumental in my continued learning, um, in my bipolar journey. So it's really, it is essential that we have those conversations. There's just so many benefits. And you know, I, for all the bipolar parents out there, I'm with you. I feel you. I see you. If you ever want to reach out um, and have chats, you know, I've got all my various social medias, um, my, my instant messages, and I'll have a Q&A on pretty much all my uh, podcasts in the Spotify. I'm not sure if there's similar on other um, podcast networks, but feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to listen and have a chat. You can do this. You know, the kids will benefit from seeing you at your worst so that then you can show them, you know, if you, you got to, obviously you got to commit to getting yourself balanced and getting well. But if you do that, then your failings will be forgiven, you know, and they can see that it's okay to not be okay. So we can be better, more self-aware and balanced people. And then in turn, we can lead by example. And now for the lighter side of bipolar parenting. It's so rewarding to see your kids beam at you and smile and laugh when you almost have almost as much energy as they do and you're chasing them around and you're almost childlike at heart and you get into the things that they're doing like playing the video games um, playing with the legos i mean i know normal parents can do that but man we feel that we can keep up with uh, keep up with the little ones you know with our with our high energy and we can just take interest in those things that, that they love and that brings me a lot of joy that is the lighter side of bipolar parenting for me because that um yeah i'm able to keep up with them and i'm able to enjoy their t- my time with them a lot more um that's it for this week guys and i hope uh you'll come back for the third episode next week i'm aiming for every episode to be dropping every friday so stay tuned and we will see you on the flip side and as always let's keep walking the edge together